I don't know what the return policy is on a senior pastor, but I want to thank you for sticking with me for a couple of weeks here and not seeking a refund quite yet. Uh, we feel so welcome here at Hope, and we've been so honored to get the privilege to get to know some of you. You've been gracious in the process, and we're excited to be here. Now, my office has moved in, which I'm excited about. Uh, my, my books fit nicely on the shelves, and one of the things I did this week that I enjoyed was just walked around the property and just wanted to thank the Lord for his provision, and it's been fun to have several of you say, hey, I hung that piece of drywall over there. I remember when this was a steakhouse and we helped with this. And you have given so generously and sacrificially to help this, this function, not just as a building, but as a community that, that functions as a lighthouse for our community. And I just thank you for your sacrifice. I also want to share with you my favorite place on Hope Campus right now is, is actually a tree. If you've seen this giant oak tree that's on the south side, I took that picture. It's not very impressive, the picture. But this tree, you've noticed this before, right? This, this tree is fascinating to me. I mean, it would be amazing to be able to, to dig down and to see how deep the roots would go for this tree. We have an oak tree at our home, and it's about half the size of this. And, and I'm not exaggerating when I say that we get two large trash cans full of nuts that fall off of this tree every year. I can't even imagine what that one does. It's, you couldn't put your arms around it. it it's, it's fascinating to me to think about the fact that those roots if we could see them, would go so deep and they would represent a strength that's immovable when it comes to that tree. Now, you've seen it around the metro parks where you've seen a tree that has shallow roots and the rain that it, it blows over. Some of you, that's happened in your backyard. You see, it looked like it has so much more depth to it, but instead it's just on the surface narrow. And I, I found this at my house the other day. One of those seeds had had grown, and, and it, it has started the process of turning into a tree. So give it a 150 years or whatever it would take, and you can just imagine what's happening there. And, and today together, we're going to study in God's Word a passage of Scripture. We're going to study a book together. We're going to launch into the study in the book of Colossians. And in this passage, the Apostle Paul in the second chapter is going to talk about being rooted and established into Christ Jesus. So when we talk about hope, every time we talk about hope, we have to remember that hope is always in an object, right? It is in something. And the hope that we have, this, this image that Paul uses in chapter two is that we are rooted and established in Christ. And for you and I, if we have hope, it's going to be in our inheritance in the Lord. We have hope in the fact that he understands not only what it means for us to live in a world that's broken, but for him to have a will. And today, we're gonna, the title of the message today is Worthy. And there's a phrase that Paul's going to say where he's going to say, walk worthy. And today, as we study God's word together, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you and just remind you of this powerful truth that's very simple. If we choose his path in our life, we will thrive. The opposite of that statement, if we ignore his path, it's very possible that we will find ourselves struggling in the reality of surviving the Christian life. But at the epicenter of this, they talk about the sovereignty of Christ. The image that's there is of this, this idea of us being rooted into what Christ has for us. 
I love the pastor Evie Hill in California. He tells the story of a woman. I've noticed so far we don't have any hecklers here yet. Um, But uh, he tells the story in his church that there was a woman. They really didn't know how old she was. She was an older woman. She was precious to their church. But he loved it when they had a guest speaker especially because she would be waiting. And, And if in the sermon, if he didn't get to the point where she felt like he was really talking enough about Christ, she'd say, lift him up. She said, get him up. It's time to get him up. Can you picture that? The, the, the point that she's making is the point this morning, and that's the point that the Apostle Paul's going to make as we study this book of Colossians. That's that we want to lift him up. The supremacy of Christ reigns over everything in our lives. And the question for us individually is, is who are we rooted in? What, what is it that we're choosing to establish our life upon? Is it the path that the Lord has decided for us that is one that's good, that's healthy? We'll, see, we'll hear this in the text today, that it results ultimately in joy, radiating joy. Or we individuals that are stuck on a path that misses out on the reality of what God desires for us. When it came to the series in the book of Colossians, it was fascinating for me. I was planning on preaching just one message this week on Colossians 4, 2 through 6, a, a passage about our role as, as believers, what it means for us to push into the community to share the, the truth of the gospel. As the apostle Paul authored these words, he says in Colossians 4, in chains, as he's in prison in Rome writing this truth. But as I studied this book, I'll be honest that there was a part for me that just said every one of these verses are things that we need to hear as a church, as a, as a hope church, that, that there's every one of these words seems to apply to who we are. It's, it's fascinating. If you look at the text in, in Colossians chapter 1, just in the, in the greeting, in, in chapter 1, verse 2, he talks about the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ in Colossae. Colossae was a fascinating place in those days. It was is a relatively unknown place. It, it's one of those, those places that, that later commentators would say that they were amazed that this little city, this little, little community would end up getting an epistle written to them directly. We don't think Paul ever visited there. We, we recognize that it's known by its geography where it's associated with other places. So it's, an, it's 100 miles east or four days walk away from Ephesus. It's, it's one of those places, if you see this next picture, it's beautiful. It was known for its beauty. It was known for its agriculture. This was a nearby theater there. But that, that really, in its beauty, um, that, that hill that you're looking at, the green hill that's there, that was, has never been excavated. That it really was one of those places in the history of the Greco-Roman history that Strabo, the historian, said it was just a small town. And here, the Apostle Paul decides that he's going to write a message to this small town, one that was so significant that it would record these four chapters that would allow you and I to understand what it means for us to walk worthy of our calling, but he also contained in it a warning. There's going to be three themes that we see woven through this passage. One of them is the supremacy of Christ, that we must be rooted in Christ. Another is that we have the hope of an inheritance. Today we celebrate graduates. So the idea that, that there's something in the future that we look forward to, that we anticipate. And here today we also see in this context the emphasis on the will of God, what it means to be people who obey and honor, walk worthy of the will of God in our lives. 
There's, there's a sense of warning that was associated with this passage, though, that I believe the Apostle Paul wants to emphasize because there was a threat in their culture that's a threat that's in our culture today as well. And the threat was that individuals would look at their faith and they would say that, I like this Jesus, this Jesus is good, but they'd, they'd kind of pick and choose different parts of other faiths. Maybe it was the faith that they grew up in. Maybe it was the the, the culture that they're in. Maybe it was grandma's faith, but they take and pick and choose these different faiths and they make a new one. Have any of you been to Build-A-Bear before? None of you? Um, so I, I have been to Build-A-Bear and I have made some pretty ugly things at Build-A-Bear. I will be honest with you. But if you, you're unfamiliar with Build-A-Bear, the concept is they have all these little bits and pieces and parts and you can decide what you stuff your bear with and, and what it turns out and you can make all kinds of things. I think I made a Yoda one time. Uh, you know, that there's there's, a, there's a, a sense of like, I can just pick and choose what I want. And I'm convinced the longer that I interact with our culture, when it comes to people's faith, that that's how we approach our faith sometimes. Warren Wearsby puts it this way, and I think it's quite profound. He says, the church today desperately needs the message of Colossians. That's the book we're going to be studying for the next several weeks. We live in a day when religious toleration is interpreted to mean one religion is just as good as another. Some people try to take the best from various religions, religious systems, and manufacture their own private religion. Can you relate to that? Have you seen that before? It, that there's, a, there's an equal playing field, and we take this, and we just pick and choose what we like. I don't like that, that book. I don't like that part of scripture. What about this one? Many are in danger of diluting the faith in their live, loving attempt to understand the beliefs of others. His examples are mysticism, legalism, Eastern religions, asceticism, and man-made philosophies. They're secretly creeping into our churches. They are not denying Christ necessarily, but they are dethroning him and robbing him of his rightful place. In the text today, we will see an emphasis on the idea of walking worthy. I love, love this picture. And walking in scripture is fascinating because it always implies volitional choice. I get to choose. Now remember, a day's walk in those days was 25 miles. And, and when it comes to the decisions that you made in your life, especially in the Hebrew culture, the description of walking is basically saying, I, how am I going to choose to live today? How am I going to choose? I love you mentioned grilling out, right? We got, we got Father's Day. How are we going to celebrate this? But beyond that, how am I going to choose to just live the day in and day out reality of my life? And when, when in scripture it talks about walking, it's talking about a concept that I'm amazed by God and his sovereignty that he gives us the privilege of doing. And that is to choose the decisions, the steps that we're going to take, the moves that we're going to make. And there's this, this statement that he says, walk worthy. That there's a way that God has designed for you and I to walk, how to live, if you will. And it, and it is so essential for us to understand. And ultimately, it's going to boil down to being rooted and established in Christ Jesus. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be beginning in verse 1. And let me just pray as we study God's word together. Lord, we love you. I thank you for your word, that it is sharper than a double-edged sword, Lord, that it permeates our hearts. I pray that today this message would radiate with hope, that there would be a deep encouragement for each one of us, that we would not just be hearers of your truth, but we would be doers. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. 
Interestingly, in his epistles, often Paul gives us this little hint into what he's going to be focusing in on. The will of God is going to be something that he's going to tell us is obtainable. The will of God is a thing. It's an idea that that he's going to emphasize, and it gives us the opportunity to live up to it. We know Paul is in the context of, of suffering for his faith. He's been in prison, we assume, in Rome at this point. And I love that Timothy is looking over his shoulders his shoulder, as he writes this passage, he, rep- he references his, um, his student, his disciple, Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, by the will of God. And Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from our God and Father. Verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all of the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth and the gospel. This beginning phrase helps us to understand that he's establishing the desire for you to live up to your faith. Your brothers and sisters, I love this description of Christ, or God being our father, especially on Father's Day. I love this idea that that's how you and I relate together, right? We call each other brothers and sisters, and it's because that, you know, in the earliest church, they accused the church of being, having huge families, and some assume that that's because we call each other brothers and sisters, right? Like that that's the, the way we relate to one another. We, we are under the headship of our heavenly father. In this description, because in verse five, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, your future inheritance of this you've heard before in the word of truth and in the gospel. The good news is what radiates here. The truth and supremacy of Christ is what is at the epicenter of this. The idea of the will of God is an interesting Greek word, the thelmatos. It means belief plus behavior. It is not just knowing what's right, but it's having the strength to walk in it, to make the choice to move forward in the midst of it. Also in this text, we see the hope of a future inheritance. When we think of the hope of a future inheritance, that phrase already and not yet is really what applies, right? That we, we recognize we've got a hope. Uh, we have an inheritance. It's coming. There's something that we long for. And we make the decisions of our life based upon that. The first point this morning that I want to emphasize is my way or his way is the choice that we make every moment of every day in our lives. It's interesting in the Lord's prayer, he says, thy will be done. Thy will is full of informed information. It's full of dependence upon the Lord. It's full of thriving and it results in great joy. We see this in this passage. But my will is full of ignorance and darkness. It's self-reliant, it's fruitless, and ultimately it results in joyless fear. You and I, brothers and sisters, live in a contested kingdom. There's a path that we find ourselves having to decide between, and that is is the question, am I going to choose the path that leads to my will, my best guesses, my assumptions, my decisions, or is it going to be that I'm going to submit to the authority of God's will, that I'm going to look forward to the future inheritance, that I'm going to invest my life in such a way that I decide, I've decided that I want to fall under his authority in his kingdom. You and I live today in a contested kingdom. 
What that means is that we recognize that there's the authority of God, that he's the king of kings and lord of lords, but we also recognize that there is a prince and power of dar- or a prince of darkness that claims some version of authority upon us. I love that really close to Hope Church, there's one of the stations of the of the un- underground railroad. You guys have seen the buildings here. It's it's a beautiful image to picture a slave who fled from slavery, now is in a place where they're offered freedom and they find their identity going from being slaves to now being set free. But there's individuals who would make a claim. That's why the Underground Railroad existed, right? Is that there were individuals who would make a claim, an empty one, over the sovereignty of who they were. Satan has no authority in your life. But he claims to have authority. The contested kingdom that you and I choose to live in as the Lord tarries, as we wait for him to return, as we get to decide, which path am I going to live my life on? Now, there's a a spoken promise in the text. And there's a statement that's here that the cost of admission in so many ways is us being able to say, thy will be done versus my will be done. Uh, any of you uh, ever open up a choose your own adventure book? You guys ever seen these before? A couple of you are shaking your head up now. I loved these things when I was a kid. These are great. So if you, if you open up a, a, a choose your own adventure book, basically the concept for those of you who haven't read these is that in the, in the start, they have a few pages that tell you a story. And at the end, the, the main character gets to choose. Do you want to go into the cave with the spiders or do you want to jump over the waterfall or whatever it is? And then if you decide, you go to a different page and you select that page and you hear that story and you go through it and you, you often die in cataclysmic ways. I died many a time on mine. Nobody else relate to that? A few of you can. But, but there's a trick to the books. And that is you can go to the last page, Right? And you can read what the end, there's a, there's a way to win the book. There's, a, there's an end of the story that's positive. And you can work your way back. Um, I did that a couple times. Anybody ever do that before in your choose adventure, your own adventure books? You can work your way back knowing the right path to go on. When the Apostle Paul wrote these words to the church in Colossae, he knew that in the future, not the Apostle Paul, I'm sorry, but when the Lord had the Apostle Paul write this, he knew that in the future, just a few years after this was written, there was going to be a cataclysmic earthquake that was going to hit Colossae. He also knew that the emperor Nero was going to wreak havoc upon the lives of Christians. He knew that there was a hurricane that was coming to hit this fledgling church. And he recognized that they need to be people who are rooted and established in Christ Jesus so that those storms don't hurt them. But they could choose to, according to what this message is today, that they could choose to ignore it. They could choose to stay on their own path. They could choose to to take the beliefs of the culture that's around them and say, this is who we're going to be. But instead, what we see as the Apostle Paul prays this profound prayer, this is my prayer for the graduates, by the way. So proud of you guys that were graduates in the um, the first service as well. So many amazing stories and we're super thankful for them. But in the Bibles, when I got the Bibles, this is the passage of Scripture that I underlined. If we skip ahead to verse 9, Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, it says this, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, 
in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of your Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience, and then it ends with joy. That's it. That's what he's telling us, that we have the opportunity to do. It doesn't say an easy path, but he says the will of God is accessible to you. And, and, and I have news for you. God cares more about you finding his will than what you do. Do you believe that? I think sometimes we, we treat it with such mystery and we, we, we kind of approach it from a mystical way. I think we don't have a God will problem. I think we have an obedience problem so often. The walk is determined. It's discoverable. And he gives us a hint as to how we find this in our lives, that, that there's a spiritual reality that, that, that allows us to be able to walk in the knowledge of God. And that spiritual reality is the, is the, the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And, and you know what I love about the truth of God's word? This isn't, isn't like some of us who studied history where we go back and we say, man, wouldn't it be great if we had access to the author so we could understand what they really meant about this. The reality of the inspired word of God is that we still have access to the Holy Spirit, that he indwells amongst us and that he's in us and that we understand the knowledge of God the way he allows us to see his truth and his authority. His will is not a secret to those who know him. His will is not a secret to those who know him. I'll reread those verses again. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. I did a project at our house a couple of days ago, and one of my daughters, uh, she, she was working with me on the project. And and one of the things that she did is that we were, we we're working on something. I did the same pattern every time, same pattern, new screw, bolt, bolted it in. And, and then finally, she just started ahead of time handing it to me, right? She, she, she saw what was going on and she said, oh, that's what my dad needs. Oh, that's what my dad wants. I think that that's what happens for us when we saturate ourselves in God's word, when we pay attention to the heart of God, when we listen to him, that, that we begin to find ourselves just going, oh, that's his character. That's what it means to love like him. That's what our battle plans are. That, that, and, that, and that fruit that flows from abiding in Christ is overwhelming. It's beautiful. And it's not really a secret. I like the way this, this um, description of God, that he's described as God our Father back in verse 2. And, and I think as we, we celebrate this Father's Day, like that, that there's, there's a sense of this, that when the Lord Jesus said about, about, or when God said this about Jesus at his baptism, he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am. Do you remember what he says? In whom I am well pleased. Jesus knew how to obey his Father. I find it so fascinating in the story of the prodigal son, a story that Jesus told as a parable to describe partially his loving relationship with us, that the son knew exactly where to find his father, right? And the father was ready to come running to him, even in his rebellion, that our knowledge of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the one that we get to call our Abba Father, 
is one that gives us the privilege to know the voice of our good shepherd. And, and the question with those paths is, are we going to obey? Do we care? Do we, do we believe he has our best interest in mind? I, I really think that there's something deeply helpful in our understanding of that. Brings us to our third point today, and that's when we choose his will, when we choose the path of his will, we inherently thrive. We just, we just thrive. I, I mentioned trash cans full of, of nuts that have fallen from the tree. That, there's, a, there's a reproduction that happens that's beautiful, that, that the gospel is advanced. And, and we see this in some of the verses that we're going to read at the end here, that, that the gospel is advancing around the world because of people who've chosen to say, no matter what the cost, he's worth it. The truth is, is that the Lord has a plan and a desire for us to walk worthy of, and we can choose to ignore it. But when we obey it, we are empowered and strengthened by his perfect resources. Did you see that in the text? Endurance, patience, joy. The inheritance that we have is, is that already and not yet component. Do you see that in the text where it talks about the inheritance? I, I don't love the idea of inheritance. I, I think of my family. I love my parents. I think inheritance often involves death. Um, it involves separation. But I, I like to think of this more like a graduation. You know, this picture is beautiful. Of this, this young man, as he's, he's crossing the line. I love the smile on his face that some of our grads have gone through just recently. But, but you recognize when you see this word inheritance as it's described in this passage, that it's the idea that the way it was isn't the way it's always going to be. You're moving forward. There's, there's an optimism about what's ahead for you. And here we have the promise of an inheritance in the very presence and kingdom of God. It's an already promise. We get to live as his children, but it's not yet completely fulfilled yet. The, the phrase that, that stands out to me here as well at the end of verse 14 is, in him, again, referring to Christ, we have redemption. We've been bought with a price. We've been redeemed. We have a new hope and we experience the forgiveness of sins. It's beautiful. So we get to thrive in the midst of joy, in the midst of realizing his blessing. I, I was serving at a ministry that we had in California. It was a really cool ministry called Micah House, and it was in our local communities. Like our ministries here, we go into the public schools or minister to kids in the community, and it's called Micah House. And I was ministering one time, and Micah, I was just hanging out in Micah House, hanging out with some kids, and the director of the ministry, she came up to me at the end, and she was almost giddy. She was so excited, and I didn't understand why. She gave me this brown paper bag, and she said, Sean, you're just going to have to trust me. Take this and um, go into your backyard when you get home and just, just throw this in your backyard. I had no idea what this was. So um, she'd never been to my backyard. She just assumed that it was California and things would grow. So, um, so this, this is a picture of what it kind of looked like. Um, so it looked pretty dead, this thing that she gave me. And, and some of you know what this is. I initially didn't know what it was. It was a sunflower, right? And, and you look at the sunflower and you see now when you stare at it in a high resolution picture that it's, it's full of literally thousands of seeds. And, and, I, and I think of the words that the Lord Jesus says in Matthew 13 when he says that you will produce a crop 30, 60, or 100 times what was sown. He's just saying it's going to reproduce like crazy. Well, I, I threw this in my backyard and uh, went back. I'd forgotten about it. And sure enough, that's not my backyard. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> 
But, but sure enough, I thought it was weeds. I forgot about it. And then this thing grows up. And in the next slide, it's so cool to look at this when they're thriving, right? Like that, that you just see that when he says you will radiate with joy, that you are going to ultimately be someone who, uh, let's talk to the grads for a second, that when you go to your schools and you radiate the joy of Christ, people are going to get it. They're going to see something tremendously, because we live in a world that's depressed and dark and discouraged and frustrated. Students that are graduating, when you go into that job and you commit yourself to doing things with excellence, you're going to radiate with joy and you're going to show them what it means to be a person who understands how to thrive in the midst of a, a world that's broken, in the, in the midst of a world. I, I think of, of Peter, who we studied last week together, this phrase, bearing fruit in every good work, the moment when he says, yes, Lord, okay, I'll do your will. Sure, I'll do this thing. And then the nets are broken. For you and I, the, the question we have to ask ourselves is, which path am I on in my life? Am I choosing to walk worthy of my calling in my life? Am I choosing to walk worthy of what the Lord has for me? Or am I just going through emotion? Am I just looking good on the outside but not reproducing? The fruit of the faith is, is evidence in its reproduction. And as a church at Hope Church, the, the desire that we have, this, this desire for Hope Church has nothing to do with just more people in seats for the sake of more people in seats. The, the hope that we have for Hope Church is that it radiates the joy of the Lord in a community that desperately needs the hope of the gospel. It's not about just hiring a pastor. It's not about someone walking and, and saying something publicly that's effective. It's actually individuals, every single one of us, choosing to, to thrive in such a way that the community cannot ignore the fact that this is a place of, remember what we said about hope? That it always has an object. That this is a place where people have hope in the living God. Isn't that exciting? Yeah. That this is a place where people find hope in the living God. I, I love the example as we conclude. When we choose his will, we will thrive. I love this example of, of Paphras. And I skipped over these verses because I wanted to end with this. If you go back to verse 6, uh, this is the description of how the gospel was brought to the church in Colossae. It says, um, Paul writes this, the gospel which has come to you as indeed it has come to the whole world that is bearing fruit and it is increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and you understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras or Epaphrodites, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Brothers and sisters, that's what I hope to be for you here, is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And he goes on to say in verse 8, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So, so Epaphrodites, um, Epaphras, he, he was a man who, whether he was sent by Paul originally with the gospel and planted this church, or whether he had heard the gospel and established it and then went back and told his story. Here's what we know for sure about this man, is that he had a hope story. And, and he shared this hope story in such a way that it had a radical impact on this little town and, and the impact would ultimately be that this church in Colossae would be thriving at this point. It would be growing in such a way that it would have tremendous fruit for the kingdom. So important that the Apostle Paul needed to write a letter to them to remind them 
of their joy and their promise and their hope and what it means for them to walk in their knowledge of the will of God. For you and I, the message is very simple today. We can choose his path and we can thrive. And that's my prayer for you today, is that we're people that are rooted and established in Christ in such a way that we grow to a point that we thrive. Father God, we love you and we thank you for your word. I thank you that this ancient story is a very modern story, that you know our hearts, you know our needs, you know our desires, you know our fears, and yet you've promised us that you have a path in our life that can lead us to your joy, even in a broken world. May we be people who walk worthy of that today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.